the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right. Thank you, sir. Welcome back. We continue on hour number two here on the Wednesday edition of Lifeline from KFAX. Um, You've probably heard the news. It was mentioned a few moments ago. Uh, Today, two Philadelphia police officers shot during a gun battle. Um, Two other officers are inside a home with prisoners. It's a fluid situation. It's another one of those tragedies added to the list of tragedies. And if you look at this shooting with the recent events that occurred in uh, Ohio and uh, and um, certainly in El Paso, um, it is, again, I think, demonstrative of the fact that this country is at a real critical crossroads right now. Um, there is political turmoil, to be sure. Today, we talked about it at the start of the show, economic turmoil. All of it, I think, indicative, even as we see this on violence taking place yet again today in Philadelphia, indicative of spiritual turmoil going on within our nation. And as much as we can look to political solutions, hoping that Congress does something, pass some laws, have a meeting, conduct a forum, do all of this, at the end of the day... The real goal here, and I've said this before, should not be to make America great again. Because you can't make America great again until you make America godly again. It is an urgent time, I think, for people of faith, people that understand and have a ear to hear what is going on in the world around us, that we are on the cusp of either a potential complete unraveling of American society and the very fabric of our nation, or potentially on the cusp of a tremendous revival. Which way that goes is entirely dependent upon the people of God. Will we be obedient? Will we humble ourselves, turn from our wicked ways, and seek God's face, as Second Chronicles 7.14 tells us? Or will we just continue to seek political answers and hope for the best? Well, for those that really see prayer and going before the throne of grace as a key step to bringing our nation back to Christ, then uh, my next guest on the program tonight I think will be of great interest to you. He's going to talk to us about a very special event taking place here in California, the first of many that is designed to help bring together church leaders and intercessors from across the state, across the nation, to do this very thing, to rally intercessors and the church together in a spirit of prayer, prayer for our nation, prayer for revival. Reverend Cyril Rayan joins us today in studio, and um, this is an important mission that you're involved with. Thank you so much for being with us. Sure, Greg. It's a privilege to be here, and even as you pointed out, even with the gun violence happening today, we see where the nation is and how desperate we are. I know not everybody realizes the desperate situation, but the moral decay that has happened over the last several decades 
and um, even the prayerlessness uh, in the church and um, 66 million plus abortions and uh, the marriage being redefined and we are we are really showing our fist at god uh, i hope i said that correctly but we are away from biblical values as far as it can be and but the good news is every revival that has happened in the past has gone through that situation where there was moral decay and even if you look at the jeremiah land fear revival in 1857 there was moral decay you look at the first great awakening there was moral decay second great awakening there was moral decay revival in wales there was moral decay so it's all about how we respond as the people of god instead of pointing fingers at the enemy we need to say it's our responsibility you mentioned second chronicles 714 it is our responsibility rather than pointing fingers at the enemy we need to gather humble ourselves turn away from our wicked ways seek god's face pray and come together that's when he's going to hear from heaven forgive our sin and heal our land so it is it is a very strategic time for the nation and it's like even the people in Nineveh responded when the judgment was given saying within 40 days you're going to be destroyed i think we are right there you know even billy graham mentioned if god does not judge america then he was not fair to sodom and gomorrah mm, he would have to apologize and, yes <laughs> and i'm paraphrasing yes. it but I, we are right there at the cusp and people of god must realize that if we come together and pray and that's what the word of god says he will hear from heaven forgive our sin and heal our land and that's what we need at this time we need revival in america to change the course of the nation and that's what can bring the nation back to god and really at the end of the day this is not just a single event and i think about the many years that we've gathered on the first thursday of the month of may mm-hmm. um as a nation to pray for our nation pray for our nation's leadership and i think what's been missing the element that's been missing is a great gathering of believers all across the country we go before god we pray when we're done we say wow didn't we have a great time together in fellowship see you next year right failing to recognize that we're really in warfare here that i think time is perilously short how long will god's patience tarry before he has no choice but to bring down judgment and i know for some people they say craig those are harsh words i mean god has uniquely blessed our nation above so many nations can you dare suggest that god is going to judge this nation well Some would argue that he's already perhaps removed his hand of blessing or is in the process of doing that. Could judge God God judge this nation? I don't know that within his own sense of righteousness that he has any choice but to do so, which is what Dr. Graham I think suggested. And so then it becomes not a question of if God judges, but when God judges. And the the defining line between the two is really ultimately up to us isn't it in terms of really understanding that we need to have a serious encounter with God and that for there be for there to be revival there must has to be something to be revived right if you talk to a paramedic and say well uh they can't be a giver of life but they can help to revive 
that flickering flame, that ember of life, Mm -hmm. if somebody has gone unconscious, has perhaps had a heart attack, the heart has stopped beating, they can intervene to bring Mm -hmm. back life, to revive the life that was there. And I think at the end of the day, then, that suggests that it has to start in the church, because the kind of life that needs to be revived is in the church. And once the church is revived, then that can spread like wildfire throughout the land. Would you agree? Absolutely. I think the church is in a slumber mode right now. Uh, Prayerlessness is all over the place. Um, And I'm not blaming other churches. I'm blaming myself as well. I'm part of the body of Christ. And we have sinned against God by, by really forgetting prayer. And trust me, any church that thinks that they've not made a mistake, God will say, well, and your righteousness is as a filthy rag. So we're all, I think, in that boat. Go ahead. Yes. I I think the the response is so much important. That is in my heart. You know, how do we respond as the people of God? And when we see the churches not winning souls anymore, you know, the status quo, and we see the same people sitting in the same pews, and we have forgotten that we need to be people who take the Great Commission to heart uh, and not only pray, but also, on the other hand, you know, share the gospel. And the reason why we are gathering on August 31st at the Azusa Street Revival is to redig the wells of revival. And that is the solution for our nation. And it's like Isaac redug the wells that Abraham had dug in Genesis 26 and 18. And it was a time of famine, and he could have, God said, don't go to Egypt. You know, he stayed right there. And yes, it might be a time which seems dark in America, spiritually, but we need to continue to go back to places where great revivals happen and redig those wells of revival. Because in Numbers 21, God talks about the people who really dug these wells are nobles. You know, God calls people like William Seymour and Jonathan Edwards and uh, Jeremiah Lanfear uh, and others as nobles who who really brought about the revival. Of course, they didn't bring the revival. They were catalysts for revival. God's presence came because they were desperate enough. They saw the need in the nation. So similarly, I'm challenging everyone in the churches across America, the intercessors, to come together in a bicoastal conference August 31st at Azusa Street and also in Farrington, New Jersey, in one of the sites of the first great awakening where George Whitfield preached to thousands as a 25-year-old. And going back to the places of revival, it's really symbolic, saying we are going to take literally a shovel to redig the wells of revival. And the word of God says in Genesis 26 that the Philistines have blocked these wells. And that is actually the sin of the nation, the sin of idolatry, the sin of sexual immorality, uh, the sin of the LGBTQ agenda has blocked these revival wells. And it's our responsibility as people of God to see that The sin has defiled the land. It has blocked these wells. And we need to be the ones redigging these wells. And there is a prophecy from William Seymour in 1912 saying, in 100 years, there is going to be a revival in America greater than Azusa. 
and with Azusa Street impacting 700 million people around the world and growing, I think there is no better site to go redig the wells of revival. And that's why we are going and we are challenging intercessors, leaders, whoever is, has a heart and a burden for America. I think it's very easy to see that we need prayer. I don't have to convince much to anyone that even maybe secular people might see it. But definitely church people must see the situation the nation is in and how desperate we need to become. Because if you study revivals, you know, people like John Knox in Scotland said, give me Scotland or else I die. And there is a sense of desperation that we see in every revival that we can study. There were some people who understood the pulse of the nation, who understood the situation of the nation, who understood the heart of God that the, God, the Lord wants to move. And they were at the right time contending for revival. And I think that's an important mm-hmm. point that you make because to the greatest degree for those both believers and non-believers who recognize the direction our nation is heading in and, and just look at the headline news, we're reminded of it daily, mm-hmm. and recognize that our nation needs prayer. But I think where the disconnect comes from is we, we give mental assent to that, but there's no action to that. In each and every one of those examples that you pointed to, from from um, Wakefield to Azusa, the catalyst was always the church. Yes. The church responding to the situation, and then as the church stepped out in faith, God honored it. And it's, I think, the same thing here, too. We oftentimes like to think that somehow in the midst of this crisis in the midst of the, 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 this time of discontent in America that we're waiting on God to do something. And I think God is looking down from the heavens and saying, no, 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 you got it all wrong. I'm here. I provided you my son, my Holy Spirit, my word. You have the tools that you need. You're not waiting on me. I am waiting on you. Mm-hmm. Let me remind you that this special event, Redigging the Wells of Revival, the time of fasting and prayer, seeking God to bring transforming revival to our nation, will be taking place on Saturday, August the 31st in Los Angeles at the site of the original Azusa Street Revival. Begins at 9 a.m., goes all day, and it is a time of consecrated prayer and fasting and a time for the church to come together and really get serious before the throne of grace. There'll be a number of outstanding keynote speakers over the course of the day, including names you'll recognize, including Pat Chen, who, of course, had a radio program here in the Bay Area on KFAX for many years. She, the founder and president of First Love Ministries International, along with Vanessa Russell, founder of Love Never Fails, and best-selling author Tommy Tenney, author of the God Chasers book series. Redigging the Wells of Revival, Saturday, August 31st. For details and to register, go online right now to wellsofrevival.us. That's wellsofrevival.us. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our conversation as our visit today with Pastor Cyril Rayan continues from the Potter's Ministries. All right, 623, let's hop over to the KFAX Traffic Center to get you another update on this Wednesday ride home. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We're in studio with Pastor Cyril Ryan of the Potter's Ministries. He is really spearheading a very important gathering 
That's going to be taking place on Saturday, August the 31st at the site of the original Azusa Street Revival. If you're not familiar with the Azusa Street, Google it. You'll even find a Wikipedia uh, story on it because it is significant in the history of the church. This will be a time coming together, church leaders and intercessors from across the state and across the nation gathering to pray on behalf of our nation. Again, Saturday, August 31st in Los Angeles. And you can get more information by simply going online to wellsofrevival.us. That's wellsofrevival.us. There's going to be prayer. There's going to be fellowship, singing, and a number of teachings brought by Keynote speakers, many of whom you're very familiar with, including uh, KFAX's own Vanessa Russell from Love Never Fails, our dear friend Pat Chen, founder and president of First Love Ministries International, and best-selling author Tommy Tenney, author of the God Chasers book series. Again, the dates will be a uh, date will be Saturday, August the 31st. For details and to register, simply go on to align to wellsofrevival.us. That's wellsofrevival.us. Before our time winds up. Uh, Pastor Cyril, I want to come back to something you mentioned before the break. You talked about the sense of this being a time of tremendous darkness, uh, spiritually speaking. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I liken this often to our reaction when we come home after an evening. Perhaps we've been out fellowshipping or uh, taking our spouse out to dinner. We come back to the house at night. We put our key in the front door. And as we open the front door and peer in and get ready to step inside our house, we think, gee, it's awfully dark in here. Mm-hmm. Now, our reaction isn't to stop and say, gee, what can we do? There's just so much. How do we get rid of all this darkness? No, our reaction logically is there's darkness because of a lack of light. And so we go and we reach for the switch and we click the switch on. We go over to the table lamp and we turn that on. We begin turning lights on in the house. And before you know it, the darkness has been expelled Mm -hmm. because the light has been turned on. It probably could be argued from one perspective that there's a lot of darkness in the world today. That's very true. But I don't know that it's necessarily from God's perspective an overabundance of darkness as much as it is a lack of light. And the best way for us to dispel the darkness is to turn on the light. And that, of course, is the light of Christ, which is up to every one of us Mm -hmm. to be able to respond to and say, listen, if it's too dark out there, quit complaining, go turn your light on. Am I right? Absolutely. I think not only we need to, as individuals, as churches, become lighthouses in the community. Even if you look at the founding of America, you know, John Winthrop said, America is a city on a hill. And if you look at um, how our uh, founding fathers uh, really were focused on the Lord, uh, look at even uh, Cape Henry uh, arrival on April 29, 1607. First thing they did is put up a cross there and prayed. And think about the Mayflower Compact and how it is totally for the glory of God and to spread the gospel. I'm paraphrasing there. Uh, You can read these terms in the compact, first governing document that was signed before they even arrived on the shores of America. So I think our nation stands for being a city on a hill. And I think we need to go back to those founding values and the principles that represent it. That's really why America is such a great nation. 
because coming of back the to fun. the yeah, and, and coming back to the sense, yeah. and, and this is this is this is as key not only as a nation but it is individually too, mm-hmm. uh, to not forget the joy of our first love. Yes, and mm-hmm. to come back and be reminded of what that experience is and what it means. This in this example though, not to do it just individually, but do it collectively as the church. Absolutely, I think the church has a responsibility to be a lighthouse in our own communities. Take us ahead to uh, August 31st. Mm -hmm. Saturday, August 31st, there's going to be this gathering, again, of church leaders and intercessors from throughout the state, throughout the nation, gathering at the site of the old Azusa revival. And uh, this will begin at 9 a.m. again, Saturday, August the 31st. Everyone who has a passion for prayer, everyone who has a heartbeat, in recognizing the need for revival in our nation, is invited to come down and to participate. Give us a quick thumbnail sketch in terms of what they're going to experience throughout the day. Absolutely. Uh, It's going to be a harp and prayer, harp and bowl model for worship and prayer throughout the day. Basically, there will be four different worship teams who are going to be there on the stage as the prayer sessions go forth. And it will be integration of worship and intercession. Uh, we have Igbalo House of Prayer in uh, Pasadena, Amando uh, Matthews uh, leading the worship, and he's going to bring in other uh, teams from different houses of prayer. Um, and then uh, there will be the keynote word from uh, Tommy Tenney. But most all are prayer sessions for different aspects of the nation. So, for example, we'll be praying for the seven mountains and We'll be praying uh, for Thanksgiving for America. We'll be thanking God for America. And then there is going to be a time of personal repentance. And there is going to be a time of corporate repentance. And there is going to be uh, different issues that we'll be praying for, human trafficking. And we have seen that in the news even recently. So we are, uh, God has put on our hearts critical things that the nation is facing right now. And we are going to take that up in prayer. And, of course, we'll be praying for the third grade awakening to break out. We are believing that the Lord will do a mighty thing as we respond to what is going on in the nation. You see this as both a catalyst as well as the first of many such events? Yes. Actually, next year, Craig, we are planning uh, 50 simultaneous prayer gatherings, one in each state, at sites of revival in each state to redig the wells of revival. Wow, I love it. And yeah. and we'll have to have you back to talk about that. Meanwhile, I want to point listeners to the website and again, it's wellsofrevival.us. That's wellsofrevival.us. There you can get complete details along with registration information to be a part of this important time of corporate prayer, corporate repentance, um, individual repentance, uh, most importantly, coming together, getting before God, getting serious with God, and in doing so, I believe God will then heal our land as the Word promises us. Saturday, August the 31st, if you're a church leader, a ministry leader within your congregation or own ministry. Um, maybe you just consider yourself to be a prayer warrior and, and you like to get into your own personal war room and pray, and this is what God has called you to do. Then I would consider or ask you to consider and, and pray if God would be calling you to be a part of this great event. Again, Saturday, August 31st in Los Angeles at uh, the site of the old or the original Azusa Street um, revival that took place back uh, many years ago, and it's time now to see that experience repeated again and again until waves of revival hit all across the nation. 
Saturday, August 31st, to pray and fast for revival in America, redigging the Wells of Revival on the web, wellsofrevival.us. That's wellsofrevival.us. And I'd like to thank Pastor Cyril Rayan from the Potter's Ministries for being with us today. Thanks for coming in. Sure. It's a privilege to be here. Thank, thank you. you. All right. We'll take a time out, get you updated on some traffic here. Let's do that right now. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. The Apostle Paul reminds us that we are to be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within. Certainly makes sense from a perspective of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, after all, um, if we're in this love relationship with the Lord and he has redeemed us, as we share that good news with others, don't uh, don't we want to be articulate about um, what he's done in our life? and how we can change somebody else's life, too. While certainly that's the desire, I think a lot of people, when it comes to the matter of of sharing their faith or evangelism, get nervous. They get nervous because oftentimes we are afraid that somebody is going to ask us a question that we can't give an answer for. Oftentimes this goes to the heart of the question as to whether or not we are ready to give that answer for the hope that lies within. Brand new book out that uh, helps give some insight to some of the bigger questions and uh, appropriate answers to same. Written by Mark Middleberg. The book is called The Questions Christians Hope No One Will Ask. And Mark, great to have you on the show tonight. Great to be with you. I have to wonder, we look at some of these questions here, you know, what makes you sure that God exists? How can we trust the Bible? Uh, Wasn't Jesus just a good uh, man and teacher? Uh, are, Are very common questions to be sure. And one would think questions that at the base every Christian would feel comfortable in answering. But obviously, a book like yours suggests that's not necessarily the case. Yeah, you know, in a perfect world, I guess we should. But the the real truth is a lot of us uh, grew up with the Christian faith. Our parents taught us as we were young, which is great. But when you're raised kind of on VBS and Sunday school and this is, you know, being taught that this is true your whole life. And, and if you're mostly around Christians, then later when someone really looks you in the eye and says, yeah, but how do you know? And, you know, you believe the Bible, it's full of contradictions, it's based on myths, it's, you know, how can you accept that? Well, a lot of us quite naturally feel intimidated by that because we just haven't prepared ourselves for that. So that's really the spirit of this book is to say, these are the questions we're afraid of. This is based on a national survey we did about a year and a half ago that summer we asked a thousand christians you know what are the issues that you hope will not come up when you're in a conversation with a non-christian and these are the top 10 questions that came up so let's get ready because if we feel ready then we're much more willing to get into those conversations and much more likely to be used by God. Now, for many years, you served as evangelism director at Willow Creek Community Church there in Chicago. Um, As you spoke with folks that were coming through your program, uh, did there seem to be a commonality um, over intimidation by some of these questions? And I'm wondering how much of that might have gone to, as you suggest, maybe a sense of Christian isolationism where we really don't know the answer to these questions because we've never been asked them. Uh, and then to maybe to a level of just simple biblical illiteracy where a lot of folks are just not that familiar with Scripture enough to feel comfortable in in, in speaking to some of these questions. Yeah, I, I think that's very true. I think, uh, again, I think sometimes as churches we're a lot better 
at teaching, especially young people, teaching them what to believe but not why it's true. And so a lot of young people grow up learning the creeds, learning Bible verses, uh, being able to kind of parrot back the right answers. But again, I think in the training, and I'm a real advocate even in Sunday school classes, where we say, okay, let's let's role play here a little. I used to do this when I was a high school Sunday school teacher. I'd say, for the next half hour, I'm going to be a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon, or I'm going to be a strong, you know, kind of atheistic evolutionist, and I'm going to challenge your ideas. And and at first it freaked the kids out, but then they they really took to it because they they realized, well, wait a minute, we have answers to these things, and so I think we just need to really force ourselves to think more and get more ready because truth is on our side we we don't have to be afraid of these things but we do as as the verse you quoted first uh, peter 3:15 we do need to get prepared there's a couple of issues here at hand, too, I think. Uh, I remember a number of years ago, Norman Geisler was on the program, and we spent some time talking about what at the time was an increase in, in how should I phrase this, a, a debate, really, over whether or not it was necessary as a Christian to believe in a, a literal bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ or whether or not that could have been simply a figurative event. And it was amazing to me the number of people that called into our program that night that felt as if, you know, whether or not it was a literal resurrection or a figurative one really didn't matter if at the core, you know, you kind of got the message. And and it it was a a very big eye-opener for me in understanding that there oftentimes is a gulf of ignorance uh, between what we believe and even going down to the core of why we believe it. Do you think that's true? I think it's very true, and I've been in Bible studies with all church people, evangelicals, who didn't believe in the Trinity or who thought they believed in it but would articulate it in a, in a way that was actually cultic. And so, again, I, my my mission is not to shame all these people. My mission is to say, we just need to do a little more preparation. Uh, let's be honest, we need to do a lot more preparation. And this, Mark, I, I should hasten to add, is not just simply for the sake of more effective outreach and evangelism, but ultimately for deepening of our own walk with Jesus Christ. I mean, it, it would seem to me um, it would be important for every believer to know why they are sure that God exists. Absolutely. I, I think all of these questions first speak to our own confidence and clarity as Christians, especially, again, young people who are going to go to way you know, go away to the university or college and have their faith challenged. And so we've got to equip them in particular, but really all of us. And then the second half is then we're going to be much more able to boldly and confidently and clearly articulate the message and explain to our non-Christian friends how they can know that it's true as well. So very much a double-edged sword cutting both ways, both in terms of being able to deepen our own faith walk and understanding and relationship with Jesus Christ, and then secondarily, once having been equipped with that information, being more effective toward giving that, uh, well, as we said earlier, that answer for the hope that lies within. Our conversation today with Mark Middleberg, a look at the questions Christians hope no one will ask. We'll come to some of those questions as our conversation continues right here on KFAS.
And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Mark Middleberg, my guest tonight. He is a former evangelism director of Willow Creek Community Church. His new book, The Questions Christians Hope No One Will Ask. As you engaged in this survey, Mark, and I think all of these questions that you outline and detailed answers inside the pages of your new book are all vital ones. Which one would you say, though, that tended to come up the most? Well, and by the way, I need to apologize. I'm just getting over laryngitis. Not not a problem. I'm operating with half of my voice uh, cut off here. But uh, the the very first question we addressed in the book was one of the top two on the survey, and that is, how do you know God exists? You can't see him, feel him, hear him. You know, he's not a physical being, and yet you're kind of staking your life and eternity on belief in him. Why do you do that? And, you know, I think as Christians, again, a lot of us grew up knowing God, believing in God, experiencing God, worshiping God. It's just a normal part of what we believe and know to be true. And yet, when someone says it like that, it's very intimidating. And like, well, I don't know how to prove it to someone else. And so I addressed that one very first. That's chapter one in the book, which, by the way, I can give a website later where people can read that first chapter for free. Why don't you do that right now, Mark? Okay, it's it's thequestionswithanswers.com. Thequestionswithanswers.com. Right, and we've got uh, Lee Strobel did the foreword, that's there, and then the introduction, and then this first chapter, which is, you know, how do you know God exists? You can't see, feel, hear, or touch him. Let's, let's address that question. How do we know that God exists? If you can't reach out and physically touch him, and you're talking with someone who says, look, you know, God gets the blame for a lot of stuff. I just don't know that there's any evidence that God actually exists. Yeah. Well, it's a great question. And the first thing I say is don't ignore or discount your experience. Um, as a Christian, I grew up being taught this uh, as I grew up. But God is very real to me. And uh, I think anyone who's really walking with Jesus is able to t- talk about you know, ways he is real to them, ways he has led them, protected them, redirected them. Even even when he convicts us of being in the wrong or of sin, that is God's activity in our lives. So first thing I say is talk about that openly and boldly because it's real. But if you just stop there, the average non-Christian is going to go, okay, well, that's experience, but I, you know, I need evidence. Well, I give two scientific arguments, and then one that's more, maybe a little more philosophical. But uh, the first thing I talk about in the chapter is the existence of the universe. And I'm telling you, this has always been a good argument, but in the last 20, 30 years, science has reinforced this one in a huge way. And the basic argument is this. First of all, whatever begins to exist has a cause. In other words, things don't pop into existence on their own. So whatever has a beginning has a cause. Second part of the argument says the universe had a beginning. And the beauty of this, again, is virtually every scientist now believes in some version of the Big Bang theory, that it, you know, at a point, you know, a finite point in time, there was a huge explosion at which everything that we call the universe came out of an infinitesimal point. And scientists believe this. And, and I do, too, and I think Genesis 1-1 describes it. But they, they think it's a natural event. I just say it's a, a scientific description of a miracle. And so the universe did have a beginning. 
But then the third part of the argument is whatever had a beginning has a cause. The universe had a beginning. Therefore, the universe had to have a cause outside of it, a cause that is great enough to produce it, smart enough to produce it, powerful enough to produce it, old enough to be there to produce it, and artistic enough to make it as wonderful as it is. Well, I'm telling you, that's the God of the Bible. And that's, you know, science and philosophy point to this, you know, powerful reality that there is a God that is beyond all of this, who created it. One of the other frequent questions that come up is dealing with the issue of the Bible. Now, of course, typically as Christians, we rely on the Scripture as the source of which we use for good, solid apologetics, as well we should. To the person who says, but wait a minute, the Bible was written by men, it's wrought with all kinds of contradictions and errors and mistakes. How or why should we trust the Bible? Again, a question that is very intimidating to a lot of Christians right up front, because they've always accepted it. And they're often tempted to just say, well, it says right here in Second Timothy that the Bible is inspired, it's the Word of God, it's you know, profitable for correction and teaching, etc., etc., and I agree with that. I agree with that verse, but that's not how you're going to prove it to your non-Christian friends. They're going to say, that's just circular reasoning. You're just using the book I'm questioning to try to prove it. You can't do that. So what? What? first thing I like to do, Craig, is when someone says, you know, it's so full of contradictions, you can't trust it. I just like to look at them and say, you know, contradictions bother me too, but I'm just curious, what are your top two or three? And I'm telling you, it's usually as silent as what we just experienced. Because most people kind of parrot a cliche that they've heard, and that is that the Bible's full of contradictions, and they haven't even looked into it, they haven't read it for themselves, they have no idea. And you ask them what are their top two or three contradictions that bother them the most, they don't even have anything to say. And when that happens, which is the majority of the time, I like to then say, well, listen, before you start criticizing and writing off the book that has changed the lives of millions or really billions of people, you owe it to yourself to read it for yourself and look at it because you're going to find out it is true and it speaks to your heart, it speaks to your deepest needs. But now some people will say, well, you know, there's contradictions there. Uh, you know, some of the Gospels say that there was an angel at the tomb. And then other Gospels say there were two angels at the tomb. And so you can't have, you know, it's either one or two. That's a contradiction. I can't trust a book that, you know, where the guys can't even count angels. When we run into those kind, of, and by the way, that's the nature of most of what people call contradictions. And what I point out there, and I, this is what I talk about in the chapter, in the questions Christians hope no one will ask, I explain that the nature of eyewitness testimony is that it's always incomplete. Uh, I live in Colorado. I'm looking out my window. I can very honestly say there is a pine tree out there. But, Craig, if you were sitting there, you may look out and say, what do you mean there's a pine tree? There's about a 1,000 pine trees out there. Well, we're both right. See, I didn't say there's only one pine tree. I just mentioned one of the pine trees I'm looking at. And so I gave less than full detail. You said there was a 1,000, and you're right, too. But in reality, there's a lot more than a 1,000 because I live in the middle of the woods. So those are just incomplete levels of information. And so going back to the Bible, one gospel writer mentions an angel. He didn't say there's only one. He just mentioned that there was an angel. Then one of the other writers mentions how many there were. He says there were two. 
And as one person says, you know, here's a mathematical formula that's helpful. Wherever there's two, there's also one. <laughs> Isn't that good? That's, that's a good perspective. And, you know, the, the other issue here that I think can, can give us all a sense of a sigh of relief, initially you think in a topic like this that it means that we have to get into to deep concentration and study and pull out the thesaurus and the concordances and spend hours on the Internet doing research so that we can memorize all these details and data. But as you heard in those two exemplary uh, questions and answers, that it's really fairly basic. It's not that hard or involved if you know where to look and what to share. A look at the questions Christians hope no one will ask with answers. And as Mark mentions, if you'd like to read the first chapter online, you can do so for free. Go to thequestionswithanswers.com. That's thequestionswithanswers.com. And Mark Middleberg, thanks so much for the time. It's a great book and one that's an easy read and yet I believe a very important read for all Christians who want to not just deepen your own understanding and knowledge of the Scripture, but also how to better improve your ability at sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.